The Coonhound Collective Podcast is brought to you by Conkeys Outdoors because we support the people who support our way of life and CZ Welding and Fabrication. Custom dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coon Hound Collective Thank you for joining us today on the Coon Hound Collective Podcast. Today, I have Mr. Brandon Gaines with me from Oklahoma via telephone. Brandon, how's it going? Going good. Brandon, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of where you're from and how you got into coon hunting. Well, I grew up in a little town called Blue Jacket, Oklahoma. I currently live in Fairland, Oklahoma, which is a small town itself. Uh, Coon hunting, it's kind of been in my family for before I was even around. Uh, My uncle, he used to coon hunt. Several of my cousins coon hunted and stuff. Well, my grandparents, they pretty much raised me all my life. Uh, and uh, my cousin James Chandler and his brother Kevin and his dad Preston, they all used to come over to my grandparents and go coon hunting. Well, my grandparents, they was kind of the overprotective kind <laughs> and didn't really want me to going they thought I was too little to be going hunting in the dark so I'd get upset and go to my bedroom and I'd lift my bedroom window up listen to them hounds all night that they'd be out there hunting I'd be out just laying in bed listening to them hounds so actually before I ever got to go coon hunting for my first time I uh, I was already in love with coon hunting just by laying in my bed listening to hound run. But uh, the very first person who ever took me coon hunting was my uncle Jimmy Welch. Uh, he took me and my cousin Travis coon hunting for our first time. And uh, that was the first time I ever got to see a dog go and treat a real live raccoon, and I was hooked. And that's pretty much how I got into coon hunting. I, I'm going to say it's probably just in my blood since almost all my family grew up doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, I know listening to hounds, especially as, you know, a young, young person, that usually, that and seeing a coon tree just usually winds it up and, and it's in you forever. So I know you currently uh, hunt English dogs. What was your, what was your, not, not just going with someone, what was your first hound? Was it an English or was you hunting something else? The very first dog I ever owned was an English dog. I bought it uh, as a puppy uh, from a guy in Cleor. His name was Jim Mullins. Uh, end up, that was who I got my first dog from. We ended up becoming real close friends over the years. And uh that little pup I got was out of a dog that he had, a female he had, he called Rosie. And she was directly out of Iceman. And uh, 
that pup there, I'll be honest with you, probably would have been a lot better pup if I'd known a lot more about coon hunting and how to train a pup, and I didn't know nothing. And my first couple of years hunting, I probably rent more dogs than made. <laughs> well, I think and, that's, uh, that's the case with everybody. <laughs> we we all get that first pup, want get to get it in the woods and end up making more mistakes than we do good for it. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But, uh, so I had that pup. I just liked it because I went to been around a lot of people that coon hunted and stuff, and most of them had walker dogs. And, uh, I just, I've always been that type. I like to do things different, uh, have different stuff than everybody else. I want to just be the different person, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, that pup, it ended up getting run over when it was about a year old and I talked to Jim and he said what you need to do uh, is get you an older dog one that already knows what it's doing and stuff I said well really back then I was a teenager and I didn't really have the funds to pay for a good dog and Jim said I'll sell you Rosie and I bought Rosie uh, she was directly out of ice, man. I bought her for $500. And uh, that was my first real good coon dog that actually I could take out. And she'd go tricking every time I took her hunting, you know. And I had her till she died. And I end up, after that, I've had several walker dogs. Uh, I wasn't prejudiced to have anything really and what made me really get back on the english dogs now and i've, I've always liked english dogs my cousin james he hunted english dogs all his life and, and uh i was just like well about the only one around here hunted english dogs was james and daryl burris and all them so i grew up hunting with the grand lake english dogs and Darren Bryant, a really good friend of mine, and all them guys had English dogs, and I decided I was going to get an English dog again uh, after my old walker dog died, and I've had English ever since. So the, the hounds that you have now, do they go back, way back to that Grand Lake stuff, or are you, are you hunting a different line now? Uh, well, uh the ones that I currently got really don't go back to the Grand Lake dogs that I grew up hunting with. Uh, I did. I used to own a dog that uh, was one of one of the better dogs I've ever owned. I called him Shaker. Now he did go back to the Grand Lake dogs on uh, his mama's side or on his daddy's side. Pardon me, the Cracker Jack dog. Uh, Everybody knows about Cracker Jack, and he goes back to the Grand Lake Squall, too. And uh, I spent many nights hunting with Grand Lake Squall. Uh, she was probably one of the better dogs that I've hunted with as far as coon dogs go. I mean, you cut her loose, she's going to go get struck at a big mouth. going to drive a track and have a coon with spark. A lot of your 
Grand Lake dogs, they didn't get competition hunted really. But man, they was always big, good looking, big mouths, and sure enough, tree raccoons. Uh, I always like to try to keep something or have access to something that goes back to Grand Lake stuff to breed back in my dogs. And my hopes is the line of dogs I got right now and I find the right female Grand Lake bred, that's where I want my next big stud dog to come out of myself. Yeah. So um, after you got back into English, I know we had talked before. Um, what what was your what was your first town that you really was competing with and 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 doing some winning with after you kind of got back into it into that line of dogs you wanted to be in? Well, my very first dog that I ever competition hunted with, or any ever done anything with was a walker female that I called Annie. She, uh, knowing now what I do about coon hunting versus then, to me she is more of an ambush style dog. She did, she did open on the ground, but she, she was kind of different. She wasn't, she wouldn't swim big water. It, it was like if it, if water touched her belly, she'd just run down the banks and just pop up coons left and right. Uh, but I was real young, didn't know nothing. Uh, so I just thought, man, I just got a really nice dog. I didn't realize, hey, she just don't like water. <laughs> she wasn't going to swim big water. But it kind of benefited me in the long run because I hunt a lot down on the river bottom. And... Uh, I drew out with guys that a lot of their dogs swam the river. Well, while their dogs swam the river, mine was treeing coons on this side of the river. And I'd done a lot of winning with her for me not knowing what I was doing really or anything. But I grew up with really good guys to competition hunt with, like uh, Kenny Durbin. I, I couldn't tell you how many nights me and old Kenny Durbin drew out together. Uh, and that man taught me a lot as far as coon hunting went, competition hunting. Uh, Corey Mills, we drew out so many times together. He was a blue tick guy, and he taught me a lot. There were several of them guys that just good, good coon hunters that they helped me as a young man. They didn't, they wasn't out there trying to cut my throat, you know. And uh, I've always been the type that. I I want to help other people too, and uh, one night I drew out with Kenny Durbin, and, and uh, he had to cast one. His dog was treated acro across the river, and there was no way we was gonna make the deadline uh, unless we just leave his dog out there, because we was gonna have to go get a boat to go get his dog or drive way around up into Kansas to get over there and get her. And Kenny said, "We'll just leave her." We'll go back to the clubhouse and come back and get her. And I told Kenny, no. I said, I'll just swim over there and get her. He didn't, he didn't want me to do it, but I'm kind of stubborn bullheaded myself. I took my waders off, swam over and got his dog so we could make deadline get back. And he had to leave his dog out there all night. And 
still this day, I, if I see Kenny or something, he's, he'll say, you remember that night you swam river to get my dog for me? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, there's a lot of good memories with Kenny Durbin, Corey Mills, and all them guys growing up hunting with them. And that they taught me a lot when it comes to competition hunting. Yeah, you know, whenever you have a good group of guys that you can hunt with, it usually develops a, a lot of memories, a lot of good stories, and um, a lot of camaraderie that's built into our sport uh, automatically. I, you know, when it, once you get around guys, you know, we're, we're competitors when we draw out on Friday night or Saturday night or during the week at a PKC hunt, but when it comes down to it, it seems to be the common theme with people that I talk to from anywhere in the country that I've talked to them that when another coon hunter's in need, the other, the other hunters always come, come to their need and, and help the, help them out any way they can. So that's a, that seems to be a common theme for sure. Yes, sir. I, uh, I just was blessed with the, the group of guys that I grew up getting to hunt with that, that, really don't still get the competition hunt anymore and you know a lot of the guys everybody wants to help everybody to a certain extent but everybody's out there to win at the same time to me a lot of things are different now than they was then back then there was a lot more hounds you show up just at a local club hunt it wasn't nothing to be 30 40 dogs there now you're lucky if you got 12 out of just a local club hunt. Yeah. Do, do you think that's because of the more availability nowadays that we have to go to a hunt versus, I know years ago, I, of course, I'm from Alabama originally, and, you know, you only had a hunt come around every so often. And so when you show up at the club, you know, there was tons of people there, tons of dogs, you know, 30, 40, 50 dogs. And, Nowadays, like you said, you know, 10, 12 dogs, is a, that's a pretty good night, uh, you know, of hunting nowadays. Do, do you think it's because of the more availability of the hunts that we have available to us? Well, in my honest opinion, uh, it's probably two different things. Uh, I, uh, I agree that there is too many hunts too close together, whereas they used to be a lot further apart. So people would drive further to come to a hunt because they didn't have nothing close to them that's supposed to think. Well, now it ain't nothing. I can go just about any night of the week other than a Sunday within an hour of my house and go to a hunt. And uh, it didn't used to be that way. So I do think that has an effect because somebody that used to drive 45 minutes to come to the Blue Jacket or Vanita hunt, they're not going to drive that far because they got one 10 minutes from their house. So that that that's part of it, in my opinion. And from what I see, I don't think there's near as many coon hunters as there used to be. Uh, a lot of your coon hunters back then, in my opinion, was, yeah, they might go to a competition hunt, but they was actually hide hunters. Um, Hide used to be worth something. Now they ain't worth nothing. And 
they was more of a pleasure hunter, but they enjoyed getting to go hunt with other dogs and stuff. So they would go to hunts nearby when it wasn't season, just to have run their dog and you know be with other people and see other dogs go because they just enjoyed coon hunting. And now it's since they ain't it ain't worth nothing. I I feel like a lot of your older coon hunters don't get they're they're not as involved in the coon hunting as they used to be yeah well i i can definitely see that and and one reason being you brought that up i had a conversation um last week with an older gentleman at my church and he was asking me about coon hunting and he said well why do you he said i used to coon hunt why do you even coon hunt anymore the hides ain't worth anything and he had no idea about like some of the competition hunts that we have now now granted I'm not in a position uh, at this time, nor do I even have a dog that I would invest that much in to pay a, you know, two or three, four thousand dollar entry fee on, to to take a chance at winning, you know, some bigger money. But he he had been out of the game for so long that he didn't even realize that they were you could go to these competition hunts and potentially win money. You know, he was definitely in it just for the hides. Yeah, yeah, because back then, I mean, really. I didn't even, for a long time, I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I knew about PKC hunts as I got a little older, but I really didn't go to them because I've heard horror stories, oh, this, or, you know, mean dog here, whatever. But now that I'm older and I've done it for a long time, I mean, I've been coon hunting since I was like 16 years old (laughs) and I'm 40 years old now. And, uh, you're drawing the same dogs pretty much at your local PKC hunt as you are at your local UKC hunt. Now, you go to these bigger level hunts, it's a different caliber dog for the most part. Now, where I live and the hunters that I got around me, my local hunts, these these are, I'm hunting against the dogs that are at your big level hunts. I mean, I got Cheyenne Cummins. I've hunted with Shaq before he was ever a night champion. I've hunted with Mafia. I've hunted with Emmy. I've, you know, all these high-level dogs that's won at all levels, world champions, national champions. These are the dogs I've cut my teeth on competition hunting and had to hunt against and win some, lose some, you know. it's That's a blessing in, in, in a disguise because... I know that I've got a dog capable of beating, you know, competing at that level. Whether I've got the money to go in or, I I mean, I myself, I ain't saying that I can't afford to go to a $2,000 entry hunt, but for the most part, I'm not going to go. I've got a family, and uh, I'm not going to go spend $2,000, gamble $2,000 to try to win a little. Right now, if I didn't have kids living at home still and stuff, I'd be different. But I don't want to take away from my kids just to go do something for my dogs uh, or myself, you know. Yeah, well, but, uh, I, I, I know I got dogs that can compete that <laughs> because I've hunted against them all, all the time. 
Yeah, I, I know over there where you're at, it is definitely a hotbed for some for some big name people with some with some really nice dogs. And um, as I've started venturing more and more into PKC, we're holding PKC hunts here at our at our club now, and I'm the hunt director. And I've been over to Oklahoma and hunted in a few of those PKC hunts there. And you know some of the some of the names that you see in the magazines you read about on the internet those are those are definitely the names that you're seeing at at those local hunts there and so if you yeah. uh, you, you can definitely spend thirty dollars and and get your measuring stick out and see see where you're at for sure real quick. Yes, sir. And I, I've got the the availability that I have a pleasure hunt with these guys. I'll call Wayne Denny any night of the week or sometimes they'll call me and we'll get together and go hunting and you know a lot of times the places i hunt if we're getting a lot of rain like we have been i i have to go hunt hills and lane denny hunts hills <laughs> and and we just kind of try to help each other out and uh lane's been here recently lane's been helping me on uh some things with one of my other dogs just because I've had situation arise and it was a training step that I couldn't do on my own. Not that I didn't know how, but a lot, 90% of the time I hunt by myself and I've got these guys, I can call them up and I'll be like, yeah, come on, we'll go hunting and we'll, I'll help you. And that makes it really nice. You know, that's, the, even though that these guys are at the elite level that they are, uh, I can call any of them anytime. I can call Lane, Tyler, Dalton, Cheyenne, any of them, and they'll say, "Yeah, come on," and we'll go go out pleasure hunting and work on things, and uh, that makes it real nice. Yeah, and and you know, not only working on things with dogs, but you know, there may be some things as a handler. Uh, yourself that you know they can give you some some pointers with or you know so and maybe you don't need pointers but like myself when I'm when I'm out there with other people pleasure hunting I went with someone last night that competition hunts regular and you know we were running stopwatches and you know I was asking questions and just trying to better myself as a handler because I know he's this guy he's been in in the you know runs of running PKC UKC and you know hunting in some bigger hunts, bigger hunts than I've hunted in. So, you know, I try to take those opportunities to learn whatever, you know, I can learn from those situations, even when we're out pleasure hunting. Oh, absolutely. It, I, I do that all the time. I, I could be pleasure hunting, me and a buddy or whatever. And I, I, I usually try to make my pleasure hunt like a competition hunt for as it, I'll run in a stopwatch when I'm hunting and I practice calling my dog in my head because sometimes you make bad calls. Well, not every every tree a dog ain't don't come on at the same. And every night you're hunting, you're, you're learning. Whether that dog's seasoned or whether it's a beginner, you're learning that dog because you're never in the same situation every night. So it's, it's a learning game. Sometimes you make the right decision, sometimes you don't. Uh, I'm usually my dog's worst enemy, to be honest with you, because I make the wrong decisions. Yeah, well, but, I, understand, yeah. I understand that for sure. I uh, I cost my little English female a, a cast win here 
about a month and a half ago because of nothing she done. It was because I waited too long to trigger. Yeah. Been there. I've I done that myself. Waited to tree dogs or, uh, you know, tree my dog and I didn't really need to and it cost me the hunt because I should have just kept my mouth shut and I didn't really need it, but my dog was treed and I just caught it like it is and that's that's just kind of how I was raised. I'm just going to call my dog for what my dog does. If I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. Uh, but you can take it to the bank. If I win my cast, it was, I did it fair. I didn't cheat. I didn't try to you push my pencil or anything like that. It it was done honest. If I, and if I lose, it was done honest. Uh, I've even kept myself out of the top 24 of the world by showing a guy's coon, you know. Uh, and I probably got more compliments after that the next day than if I'd won the world hunt, you know. Because all I had to do was keep my mouth shut. But that ain't that I couldn't sleep at night knowing that that dog honestly beat me and I just kept my mouth shut and not showing the coon so I alerted them said hey here's coon and that guy got through you know and uh that was a really good thing matter of fact it was a me and him's become pretty good friends, I feel like, and I've got to hunt with him at a few other hunts, and that's Brett Stevens and his Lori dog. Yeah, well, and Brett, um, actually, after I interviewed him, he said, I, he said, I'm going to tell you, there, there's a guy in Oklahoma that you need to talk to and interview, and that's Brandon Gaines. And I said, really? I see him on Facebook. He's got, you know, BNS English Kennels, and I see him on there with his uh, – you know, rowdy dog, diesel dog, and look like pretty nice hounds. He said, "I'm telling you, there ain't a there ain't a more straighter up guy in coon hunting than Brandon Gain." So, uh, I think that's a that's a pretty good compliment. I don't, I don't remember how many years ago that was that that situation happened, but Brett just told me this like I don't know a month and a half or two months ago. Whenever I I reached out yeah. to him about it about this, so uh, definitely definitely that's important in our sport. It's important to cherish the wins that we get but it's also important to you know be a good loser too because you, you're not going to yeah. win them win them all uh it's just it ain't going to happen there's some dogs that they get hot and they boy they it seems like they're just winning everything you know left and right here here a while back joe manning i i, I mean he, he's just winning everything but yeah. they don't always stay that way so you got to learn to be be a good loser be a good sport and uh, do the right thing and it'll come back to you. Oh, yes. And uh, Joe Manning is one of the best out there to either side of the ball. Uh, he's a good winner. He's never going to be. He's always humble. And even if he loses, he's going to shake your hand, tell you congratulations. He's, he's a really good guy. I've had the pleasure of hunting with him a few times. I actually got the – I was uh, – one of the backup judges at at the pro sport truck hunt when he won the pickup with, with Dominator. And uh, that was an awesome cast. Uh, and every one of them guys after Joe won it, they was all shaking Joe's hand, congratulating each other. 
everything. That that's what this sport's really all about. Uh and that's why I love it. I mean, for the most part, you know, hear guys talking horror stories, oh I got cheated and this guy did I've done it I've competition hunted since I was seventeen years old and I can count on one hand how many bad casts I've had where I've had trouble. And that's pretty good. I mean, most of the time everybody's helping everybody. You know, you, that's just my opinion at all levels. The higher level hunts, it's even, you would think they'd be more cutthroat at a higher level than it is at a lower level, but it really is different. That higher level, you don't hardly ever have a question. You don't hardly ever have an argument or nothing. Uh, I've had more questions in $30 hunts than I have $100 to $500. I've never never entered anything over $500, so I can't say, you know, the $2,000, $3,000. I've never entered any of those, so I can't say that. $500 is the highest I've ever entered. And that was just here recently. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people say I, I, I got cheated on that cast and, you know, this, that, and the other. But, you know, I always have to ask myself, do, do they really know what the rules were? Um, and, and was the other handlers just using the rules to their advantage the best way possible? Yeah. And I think that's it, a lot of exactly. it. Exactly. Uh because I, I just learned a rule that I, I and like I said, I've been I've been a master of hounds even since I was 21, uh, and I just learned a rule a couple months ago that I I knew nothing about, and I've talked to some people who knew it and some people didn't, and that's in a UKC hunt. If everybody in the cast agrees a dog is in a hole, you don't have to treat your dog. You can just go in there and score the dog. If it is in a hole and you don't tree it, you just get your strike points scored. You don't have to tree that dog in a hole. And I didn't know that. <laughs> it it kind of cost me a cast win at a tournament of champions. I wished I'd have known that and I wouldn't have treated my dog because <laughs> he had a coon in a hole and ended up running out of there and it cost me getting a minus and cost me a cast win. But in the end, it worked out great because the guy that ended up winning our cast, he doubled up and got through. And that Emilio Gavin, and he's a good dude too. And I've coon hunted with him for years, so I was tickled to death for him, even though I didn't win my cast. You know, I didn't win my cast the second night, so I probably wouldn't have got through even off my one cast win on Friday night. So it worked out. Everything, the way I look at things, God, God has a plan for everything, and everything happened for a reason. So I think I didn't win that cast because God knew I wasn't going to win my cast the next night, you know. And and uh, you, I, the way I look at it, you just give Him thanks whether you win, lose, draw. It don't matter because. You, there's a bigger picture. It's not just that night. You got to look at the bigger picture on everything. Yeah, I, I agree 100% there. He he definitely has a plan, and even though sometimes we don't understand it, 
uh, it usually works out for our, our better too. And something else there, you know, just like you said, you were, even though you didn't win that, you were happy for the guy that did win it. And I, I think that's a, that's something that I, I've seen more and more of. Used to, there was like these little cliques of, of guys that kind of, you know, always kind of hung together. And, and more and more, it seems like, um, you know, you're out there with a cast of guys and uh, those three lose and, and you win and those guys quit becoming your competitor and start becoming like your cheerleader pulling for you, you know, to get to that, yeah. to get to that next, next level. I, I think that's a really great thing in our sport, you know, that we can be such competitors and then turn around and also cheer that person on. Yeah. And that's what it takes. I mean, in my opinion, we're all, we're all there to help each other. Uh, there's, there is a lot of jealousy and coon hunting, but it's usually more in the same breed. And like I said, down here, I'm a little, I'm in a different breed than what most everybody here hunts. So, but even if they was hunting the same breed as me, I'm going to cheer them on either way. If I don't get through because I'm pulling for my breed, uh, I'm pulling for my friends and vice versa you know they, they do the same for me uh, all them guys that i call when i need help or whatever they know they can call me anytime and middle of the night or whatever and i'll come do best i can to help them out yeah and that's that's what it's about so um before we get too far off, off tr- trail here um, back to to your English dogs. Me, me and you had a conversation, and I don't know that anybody knows this other than me and you, um, that I come over and I've got a little male dog here out of some of your dogs. Uh, I come over and picked up. Me and you stood around and talked for a little while. Um, and you was telling yes, me, tell me about uh, Jill, uh, this, this dog you had. W- won't you tell us a little bit about Jill and kind of tell us that, that whole story that me and you talked about there? Because I, I think that just embodies what i know as coon hunters their generosity uh their camaraderie taking care of one another um i think that's just a just a great story hey guys this is jason over at the coon hound collective podcast is your dog box starting to get war maybe it's starting to get a little crack like mine is maybe you've just been thinking about it's time to upgrade to a to a new box but You've asked your buddies and you're just not real sure what direction to go in. Well, let me help you out here. Go check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication, Custom Doll Boxes, and Aluminum Products on Facebook. You can check out all their custom work they do there and their designs that they do. If you don't see something that you don't exactly like there, reach out to Nathan at 540-810-810. 540-810-5439 or send him a message through the Facebook page. I bet he can fix you up. Don't wait till fall to get that new dog box. Go ahead, get that dog box now. Get you uh, get you something looking good in the back of your truck that, that you can be proud of and that you can haul your dog around in comfort. Check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication. You won't go wrong. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Get yours today. CZ Welding and Fabrication. All right. Well, the the whole way Jill really come about was I I drove down and bought a dog off Curtis 
uh, Daughtry, which is good friends with Brett Stevens. That was before I ever knew who Brett was, and I, I didn't even really know Curtis. A lot of them call him Chops. Uh, and uh, I bought this young male dog, which ended up, I found out later when I drew out with the Brad at World Hunt, that was literally my brother to Lori. Well, of course, he was like 10, 15 months old when I bought him. And I brought him down here, and he's sure enough tree coons. And, uh, but he just, me and him didn't click. Uh, he, he tree coons, and I let my boy hunt him a little bit and stuff. And he just wasn't for me. And uh, so I decided I was going to sell him. Where there was an older gentleman in uh, Coffeyville, Kansas. I cannot remember his name. He was looking for one. It was about that style of dog. And he come down, we went hunting. He liked what he seen. And to be honest with you, I don't even remember what I had him priced at. It wasn't ridiculous, but older gentleman didn't have that much money on him. And he asked me if he paid me this much, if I would take this female in on trade. Uh, she was probably nine, 10 months old, if I remember correctly. She was under a year old and uh, asked if I'd be interested in her. Well, she was UKC performance, super stakes and everything. And I said, yeah, I'd do that because in my, what the, what was left owed to me, I couldn't have raised the pup to that level and had her paid up for that amount of money. So I did it. Well, the guy met me the next day. Uh, on my lunch break, I drove up there and I picked that female up from him and we exchanged dogs and paperwork and stuff. And so she stayed with me at work all day. On my way home, uh, then I, w I had a coon light in my truck or one of my boys left their coon light in my truck and I was heading home and it was dark and I decided I was going to drive back roads and, uh, I seen a coon cross the road, and I decided I'd cut her loose, see what she'd do. And she ran in there and got treed, and uh, I went and grabbed that light. I was going to go in there and get her, and I'll be dang if the light wasn't dead. <laughs> so I had to use my cell phone just to go in there. Whether she had the coon or not, I couldn't tell you, because all I had was my cell phone flashlight. I just got my dog and went to the house. And so I was real excited about her. And, uh, cause I didn't have a dog on my place other than my cousin had to let me hunt one of his, uh, English dogs, uh, out of crystal and timber tiger. I had her and was hunting her for him and putting her in a few hunts. And that was, a uh, James Chandler's Teddy dog. So I get Jill, I end up naming her Jill and, uh, I get her home and I, uh, the very next night, I was like, I'm going to take Jill and Teddy hunting. So me and my two boys, we load up and go down on the river, went hunting on some property I got over there to hunt. And we cut loose, and Teddy got in there and got treed, and we started heading in there to her. Next thing we know, we hear Jill in there treeing with her. And got in there, and they had a coon. Boy, I was just so excited. Uh... It's during kill season, and I knocked that coon out to him. And uh, I said, boys, we'll just call the night early. It was during the week. They had school next day, and and uh, I had to go to work. So 
we went back home or the next night uh I decided I was gonna go hunting and I took Teddy and Jill again and I went by myself and turned loose and Jill goes in there and just falls trees and never said nothing on the ground. Jill falls tree. Well Teddy was in there with her, I could tell by my tracking unit, but never never was really treeing right. And I get in there and it was a den tree, but the coon was on the outside just laid up in a ball of sweet. And I thought, there ain't no way this pup just tried to lay up coon on this night champion female, you know, that the Teddy dog's a pretty nice dog. I said, there ain't no way. Uh, we recut off that, and Jill ended up split treed from Teddy. And they both had coons, and I went home. I was like, I'm going to end it on a good note, and I went to the house. And I was, my dad used to coon hunt with me as a kid all the time, and I called my dad. I was telling him about Jill. I was like, Dad, you ain't going to believe this. This little female's for real. Uh, and no more hunting than she's ever had or anything. I said, she's just a natural. And my dad, he hadn't been coon hunting in quite a while at that time. And he, the next night, he's like, well, come pick me up, and I, I want to go see her go. And my dad's always hunted walker dogs, and and uh, I went and picked him up. And, Next night, we took Jill and Teddy and cut loose, and Jill treated a coon on Teddy again and, and uh, got in there, and it was just balled up in the first fork of the tree, just sleeping, and uh, we'd squalled and everything. That coon never would look at us. He just, first fork of the tree, I was like, my dad's like, she just treated that. I was just lay up coon, son. I was like, that's what I've been thinking she did the other night, but I was like, I didn't really believe it, you know. And uh, we treated like two or three coons that night, and she looked real good. And my dad said, I'm not a real big fan of English dogs. He said, but I'd own her. And uh, so I knew I had something pretty special with Jill. And I ended up hunting Teddy for a little while longer, and then I knew Jill needed to be hunted by herself. So I ended up giving... James's dog back because I had something to hunt now and I was really hunting her quite a bit by herself and put her in several hunts. Well, back when I was hunting her in the hunt, you had to have a first place win and a hundred points or whatever. And it took me a while to make her a night champion because I had like four or five seconds on her for. I think I had four thirds and two fours before I ever got my first place win. And I don't know, I just never could get that first place. I come in one night with 850 plus and still didn't. I just knew I had first place and end up with second. You know, on the night I did finish her to a night champion, she was, uh, she only had 75 plus and that was what I got my first place win with. But uh, later on down the road, I made her a night champion, and uh, I was going through a, a rough spell in my life. And uh, Darren, a good, really good friend of mine, and to this day, I still say he's one of my best friends. Uh, he uh, hunted with Jill a lot. He told me 
several times. He said, Brandon, if you ever decide you want to sell her, I want first chance at her. I said, if I ever decide to sell her, I'll let you know. I said, but I don't ever want to sell her. Well, then I was going through a rough time in my life uh, and was going to have to get my own place because uh, separation and, you know, just things that happen. So uh, I didn't really have the money to go get a place. Right then and there, I called Darren and told Darren, said, I'm going to have to sell Jill. I don't want to, but I'm going to have to. And he said, what do you want for? And uh, I told him, he said, well, meet me up here at the gas station. I'm getting ready to go hunting, and I'll take her. I said, okay. So Darren picked her up from me. And I'll be honest with you, I've owned quite a few dogs. I've never really bonded with a dog until I got Jill. I've never cried over a dog, and I don't, I'm not a crying type of person. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not that bred that way, I guess. But I ain't going to lie, I shed a tear when I sold her and loaded her in Darren's dog box. And Darren knew what Jill meant to me. And Darren took her hunting that night with his Rilo dog and they treat some coons but he had seen what Jill does and he knew she wasn't performing like she normally did but he figured because I wasn't there he hunted her a few more times and uh, it just she wasn't the same dog Darren called me a couple times and and uh, I remember one time he called me he said hey Brandon I got a question he said, I already know the answer, but it's, it's a dumb question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I said, all right. He said, uh, have you ever hunted Jill by herself? I said, 90% of the time. He said, well, I knew that, but she ain't going to hunt. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, we ended up figuring out that she's just one-person dog. She just wouldn't hunt for nobody but me, really. And uh, Darren called me and said, Brandon, I'm going to sell Jill back to you. I said, Darren, I don't, I don't got the money. And uh, he said, I didn't say nothing about the money. He said, you can pay me when you get the money. He said, I felt bad when I got her because I know you didn't want to sell her. Uh, but I knew you needed the money to get out of the situation. He said, I know you're good for it. When you get the money, you just pay me. I said, Darren, I, I don't know when I'll have the money. He said, that, that's fine. I felt like I took one of your kids when I took Jill anyway. So I went and picked Jill back up, and me and Darren hunted together still and everything, and Jill was just back to her old self. When she she was back with me, was, she was just her old self again. And, uh, you know, it went on. It was, I want to say it was two years before I ever got Darren paid. You know, not one, not one time did Darren ever call me and say, hey, what about that money? Never asked me about it, nothing. There were several times I said, hey, Darren, I ain't forgot you. He said, I ain't worried about it. 
and he just never never brought it up. Well, out of the blue, I, I end up getting the money. I called Darren and said, hey, uh, are you at home? He said, no, he's out delivering dog food. He said, why, what's up? And I said, I got your money. I said, do you want me to take it to your house? He said, no, I'll just come by and get it. And uh, I'll call you later. All right. Well, we end up, I met up with him the next day and gave him his money. But never one time did that man ever ask me about that money or question when I was going to get him paid or nothing. And that just that just showed me how good a friend he really was. I mean, he was there to help me when I needed it the most and uh, never did question it. And that, Darren to this day probably don't even understand what that meant to me that he did what he did because he didn't have to do that at all. He could have sold Jill to somebody else and got his money back that way, but he was a good enough friend to do what that dog meant to me, and he did did what he did, and that that was just a big thing to me. And it kind of, all honesty, set the page for what I've got now. I mean, the dogs I got now all go back to Jill, and uh, she's kind of my measuring stick for all my dogs because she's the best dog I've ever had of my own on the end of the lead, in my opinion. And I've had a lot of dogs. And I've had some nice ones and I've had some bad ones. But she's what I like the most. And Darren, I couldn't ever thank Darren enough to this day for doing what he did because I know he didn't have to do that. Yeah, well, that's kind of how the whole deal with Jill went down. Yeah, I appreciate you telling that because, you know, maybe not in our circles, but you know, a lot of people was like, "Oh, that's just them old coon hunters out there," you know, at night, you know, doing whatever, and they don't, they don't really understand what goes on, and they don't understand almost the brotherhood, uh, so to speak, that takes place and you know for for him it wasn't about about the money it was about the dog being back in in the hands that that she needed to be in and uh my yeah. hat my hat's definitely off to to people like that and like i said i've i don't know i've interviewed several people and it's just story after story um of stuff like that and it's not from one area north south east west it don't matter it's just yeah, it's just the way the way the people are that are in this sport. They're they're more looking to uh, you know everybody wants to make a dollar here or there, but they're looking to help their fellow coon hunter out first, uh, for the most yeah. part. You you do have you know a few few here or there, but for the most part, they're uh, like your friend Darren there. They're they're looking to help somebody out first. Yeah. So from from Jill. Um, she she had a litter of puppies and that's where Rowdy come from. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, so, so tell us about Rowdy and then and then we'll we'll move right on into to Diesel and some of the rest of them. All right. Well, uh, I had Jill. I made her a night champion, and I knew eventually I was going to want to breed her. And I I was going over stud dogs, you know, looking at pedigrees. What's what should I breed to? And you know, hunted with several dogs out of different dogs. And to me, it's not about the dog you're breeding; it's about what they're throwing. So I always like to hunt with uh, 
what what he was throwing, you know. And I'd looked at the JR dog, and I liked the JR line of dogs. I hunted with a bunch of them, but at that time, you know, money wise and stuff, I was wasn't going to be able to get her down there and breed her to JR, and uh, I end up uh, a good friend of mine, John Kirby, and uh, had uh, the Rocky Runs Bad News Bow Dog down there at his place, which Terry Goforth and them had, and he placed fourth in the world, uh, I, I want to say in 2011, I, I could be wrong on that, but I know he placed fourth in the world and done a bunch of winning, Terry and them did with with Oboe and and uh, I liked the way he was bred and John Kirby, a good friend of mine, had him down there at his place. I was like, man, if, if him and Terry will be willing to breed Jill, I said that that'd be my best bet because she's right here in my back door, you know, and or he's right here in my back door. So I got a hold of John and said, hey, would, would you guys be interested in breeding the Jill? And he said. Uh, Oh, I'd absolutely be interested. Let me talk to Terry and see what we can work out. We end up getting it all worked out. And, and uh, when she come in, I took her down there and bred her to bow. And uh, she had nine puppies. And uh, probably, I don't know if it was by accident or what, the bow dog was reproducing. Jill was kind of shot in the dark. She never had a litter of pups, but I knew Bo was reproducing. I hunted with a lot of pups out of him. I liked what I seen, so I bred her. She had nine puppies. They was four and a half weeks old. Uh, I was a single dad. I had my two boys live with me. And uh, pups was four and a half weeks old. I was going to start them on mush. Went out there and took Jill out and she was her normal self. I tied her up and fed her and then fed my puppies and my dog pens where I lived at at the time was probably a hundred yards from my house. I fed them. I was going to go in the house and get a drink or something and then go put Jill back up with her pups. I was on, my boys, they was little and they was just out there running around the yard playing and I was almost back to my door and my youngest boy, Lane, hollered at me. He said, Dad, Dad, what's wrong with Jill? Um, I turned around and I could tell she had stood up like she had fell down. She had stood up and she kind of stumbled around and fell. And it's, I took off running out there. I knew something was bad. And by the time I got out there, she was already dead. Uh, to this day, I don't know if she had a heart attack, stroke, I, I don't know what happened to her, uh, but two weeks prior to when she passed away, uh, I took her to the vet for a checkup because all her shots and stuff was due and had a clean bill of health on her. I have no idea what happened, but I had nine puppies four and a half weeks old out of her that was still alive and didn't know what to do. So I called my cousin James and told him what happened and uh, said, how am I going to raise these pups? There ain't no, I ain't got time to bottle feed all of them. And he said, just put milk replacer and soak her dog food in it and feed it to them and see how they get along from there. 
if, if they seem to be doing good, then that's just what I do until they got big enough to eat dog food. And uh, that's what I did. And luckily, I didn't ever have no issues. I raised all nine pups, and uh, probably one of the best crosses that I know that I've made, uh, but probably in the top ten crosses in the English breed, in my opinion, far as winning dogs out there. I mean, she had nine puppies, six of them titled, you know, uh, one of them is a bear dog, so it didn't get titled, and one of them is a an old pleasure hunter's got. One of them, she just was mediocre, to be honest with you. Uh, but the rest of them, you got Terry Goforth has a, a snag dog. Uh, he's Grand Knight champion. You got Willow Creek Copperhead that John Anderson and Keelan have. Uh, then you got Morality Dog. It's, he's won all over uh, at all levels. Uh, then you got Jim Ridge has a littermate sister that, uh, named Trick. And there's a Rio dog. He was a night champion before he got killed and uh, was winning regularly and several others. There's one up in Wisconsin that that just needs anything to be a night champion, but that young man ended up having a baby and kind of just hadn't been hunting the hunts like he used to. And just really nice cross. I couldn't ask for a better cross. And uh, Rowdy, he, he's been on my place. I. I picked Rowdy the day he was born. I was like, that's the pup. That's the one I'm keeping. And what's all odd about that is Jill had two blue pups. She had a male and a female pup that was blue in her litter. And I I, I love English dogs. I like a red tick English dog, but I've always just wanted a tricolor English dog that I bred and raised. And I end up picking her out day one. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because he's the only one that had a spot on his head and or what it was, but he was the one. I seen him and said, that's the one. He's been on my place ever since, and that's where he'll stay. And I couldn't ask for more of a dog to be like his mama than what Rowdy is. I mean, he hunts like his mama did. He acts like his mama did. He's kind of a one-man dog, and he just, his mama reincarnated, I guess, and I feel blessed to have him, and I've enjoyed him over the years and still enjoy him. He's still just a good coon dog. So um, what all what all have you, you won with, with Rowdy? Oh man, I, so many hunts over the years. I put him in. He just turned six in February. Uh, I've won high scoring dog at Redbone Days. I've uh, high scoring dog at Zone Four the year that I went to the Top Hundred. Uh, multiple time world qualifier. Uh, there's a couple, there's, I only got to hunt him in zones twice. Uh, 
the second year I hunted him in zones, he had come down with Arlichia and really wasn't performing at his level that he normally does. Uh, I won Ice Corn Dog at the Blue Tick Grand Reunion in Iowa. Uh, black and tan sectionals, English sectional kings of hunts. Uh, he's had cast wins at English Days. He's had cast wins at Winter Classics. Uh, he's in the final four of uh, Seneca had a pro classic. Uh, and that was actually when I found out the day or the Monday after that hunt was when I found out he had Arlichia. Uh, and even with him having Arlichia, I made the final four and it ended up the late round. I was winning the late round and, uh, his Arlichia kind of flaring up. Uh, he kind of shut down on me and cost me a hunt. I kind of blame it on Tyler Compton, but he's a buddy of mine, but he he pulled a flick one on me that night. I still give him a hard time about it, but at the same time, my dog shouldn't have been where he was at, and it cost me the hunt. I went from first place to last place because I ended up getting scratched, but it is what it is. But at, And them guys I drew out, I had Tyler Compton was hunting Jenna, which is platinum champions, won all over. Uh, we had Shaq, which is a national Grand Knight champion, one that everybody knows about Shaq. And then I had Emmy, uh, she's world champion, two-time world champion. And then, was a, and then I have Rowdy. Uh, then was the final four of that pro classic hunt. And to lose to any of those three dogs, ain't, I mean, there's no shame in that at all. To know that I was winning that cast with those level of dogs, if my dog just wouldn't uh, quit me because he was he was just shot in the butt from Arlichia, just to know that I could have won it, I was happy. But it kind of sucked money wise what I you know what I went from winning this to from this you know, and uh, there was only like 17 minutes left in the hunt when we had to put the time on him. And it was just one of those deals, and ain't nothing I can do to change it, but it is what it is. I had a good time at night, and I was proud of Rowdy. He dominated the early round and then was doing really good the late round, and then it just kind of petered out on me. Uh, that's been Rowdy's kind of his forte has always been. He's real, he was real fast. And he was always a low-end strike dog, but, man, he was treating coons that dogs didn't even know was around. Uh, and accurate. And I might treat zones, them guys down there when I was high scoring dogs at zones, them guys I drew out with down there, they, every one of them tell you, I treat two or three coons that, was 60 yards or less from when I cut him, just wham, bam. Other dogs just run past him, and he was treeing them. Uh, I was high-scoring dog Friday night. Saturday night, I wasn't even wanting to win my cast because I was like, I just want to get through zones. I want the least amount of minus as possible or whatever. And I would always wait 
uh, to treat my dog because I was going to see if anything come in there because I didn't want first tree take a chance of getting mine. And I ended up having first tree all night because I was by myself. Uh, the next to last coon that Rowdy treed that night, we had walked off. Rowdy had got treed, and another dog got treed, and then two others got treed over here, and it was all within a 200-yard circle. All dogs had coons. We walk off that and recut, and Rowdy didn't go 20 yards in front of us and, like, just trees. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Why, why are you doing this right now? And other dogs just kept trucking down the creek, and... I, 10 seconds of cutting him, I put a stationary on him because I was judging. And uh, all the guys in the cast that hunted were out of a bunch. They're like, why are you putting a stationary on him? I said, I'm going to see if one of you guys don't come back to tree with him so I can take second tree. Because I could literally see the tree he was on, you know. And I just, I was like, I, I figured he was just all excited. And. Long story short, their dogs went down about 300, got treed, and we, everybody trees dogs, and I tie Rowdy up, and I said, why don't we just go down there and score them, and then we'll come back, and we can score Rowdy, and go to the truck, and we'll move, or we can score Rowdy, and I'll lead you guys dogs, and score you however you guys want to do it, but that way, we have all dogs handled, and they was like, yeah, let's do that, so we went down those, treed on a little persimmon tree, End up being slick. We walked back over. Rowdy had a coon in less than 10 seconds of cutting. And we went to another spot and turned loose. And I treated another coon. And their dogs treated a den. And one dog ended up getting scratched because treated possum. But he he just, he's won everywhere. Every state I've hauled him to, whether I made the at the bigger level hunts where I made it in the top 10 or not, he's won his cast at every state I've took him. Uh, I've won multiple legacy hunts with him. I won the Ed Abel. Uh, every year they do an Ed Abel hunt down there at Claremore. Uh, Seneca Club helps put it on and stuff. I won it last year with Rowdy. And it was kind of just a last-minute deal. I hadn't even been hunting Rowdy. I just, uh, they had that hunt. And I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to go down there and hunt that hunt. She's like, what are you going to hunt? Because I had diesel and Rowdy. I said, I don't know. I said, uh, I ain't hunted Rowdy in a while. I said, but I've been on a roll with him at them legacy hunts. So, so I don't know. She's like, why don't you flip a coin? <laughs> and see who you, who you take and I did and I flipped the coin and I took Rowdy down there and ended up winning the whole thing and uh, just lucky it was, it was a lucky deal Rowdy looked good early he looked good late but at the same time I try to be very humble I'm just blessed with the dogs that I do got the people that helped me along the way to do what I have done and the competition of people that I get to hunt with helping each other and all that it's just a blessing all in, all in itself because without all that everything all into play I couldn't have done what I have done yeah for sure and yeah. he's he's definitely done some accomplishments and I'm glad you told that 
little part there. You told me about that Final Four, and it was a tough cast, but that was it was pretty funny too. Uh, you, yeah. and, you and Tyler. Oh but, yeah. Tyler, that was that was a deal. Tyler, man, I still give him a hard time, but Rowdy is never really—he's a one-man type dog. But I don't know what it is about Tyler, but Rowdy loves Tyler, and and Tyler took used that to his advantage because uh, Rowdy knew better than be standing by me, so he just stood over there with Tyler, and uh, it was just one of those deals. Yeah. So, how many uh, how many puppies uh, do you, do you know how many puppies uh, Rowdy's got on the ground now? Right now, Rowdy has a hundred and five pups on the ground. Uh, I've kind of I ain't bred any more females since I've really hit my hundred mark. Uh, but he has hundred and five. I ain't gonna say that I'm done breeding him, but. I'm going to be even more selective on what I breed than what I have been. Uh, everything I bred, none of them's just been brood females. I, I don't, I don't breed just brood females. If, if I wouldn't want a pup out of it myself, I really would, I don't really wouldn't want to breed it. Uh, some guys are different and, that's, and I've probably upset people by turning them down or, whatever and it ain't never been nothing about their dog ain't good enough to be bred to my dog because i don't look at it that way because everybody has their own opinion on the type of dog uh i'm a little different than most stud dog guys if somebody calls me usually about the first thing i'm asking them is what are you looking for uh out of your out of the stud what do you what kind of traits are you looking for because with as many pups as I got on the ground right now, which ain't a lot, I mean, honestly, I know what traits Rowdy's throwing, in my opinion. I know the majority of what he's throwing because I've bred several females, and these are the common traits I see out of all these pups out of different females. So to me, that's the traits that Rowdy's passing, if it's a common trait in all the pups. Uh so if they tell me this is what they're looking for and Rowdy don't fit that bill, and if I know a stud out there that does fit that bill, I'm going to point them in the right direction because I'm not just in this stuff. I'm not trying to make no money off my coon hunting. This is just the passion that I have. I love the English breed, and I want to see it get better than what it is. Uh so I try to point everybody in the right direction, and I don't believe in putting another man's dog down because it ain't my dog to be to be putting down. Uh, there might be things that other, some do that I don't agree with the way they go about doing it, but that ain't that ain't putting the dog down. That's more owner. I'm not really. I don't even try to put them down. I just think they ought to think about how they go about doing things sometimes but to each their own everybody has their own way of doing things and i guess sometimes you just gotta let bygones be bygones and let them do their thing because they ain't nobody telling me how to do my thing yeah so do you know the breakdown as far as titled pups out of, out of rowdy by chance 
Hey guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. I'm here today to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cocky's Outdoors. Whether you need a few dog collars or the whole setup, they can fix you up. They have a wide range of products from hound hunting to fishing. My friends over at Conkey's Outdoors can help you out. You can order online at conkeysoutdoors.com. Call them at 904-692-1568, 904-692-1568, or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, go by and see them. Again, that's at conkeysoutdoors.com because we support people who support our way of life. Well, right now, there's a, I've got, there's a granite female out of uh, the first litter that I bred her out. There's a granite female, and then I've got a night champion dog. He just needs one more to be grand out of Rowdy. Uh, there's another female that I did own that I just recently sold. She's got two wins towards night champion. Uh, there's three, I want to say three pups that's got wins on them towards night champion. All honesty, Rowdy's oldest litter is two years old, uh, coming three. And uh, a lot of them, you know, a lot of people think these dogs may be night champion by the time they're a year old or grand nighted by the time they're a year old. A lot of the guys I've got pups in their hands ain't been pushing them in the hunts yet. They actually, in my opinion, in the way I look at it, they they are trying to go about it the right way and waited till the dog was actually ready for the hunts instead of going and getting lucky. And I think by the end of this year, you'll probably see Rowdy on the top 10 reproducers list. And it'll just grow from there because I know there's other ones that's getting ready to start hitting the hunts that are really nice. I've hunted with several young dogs out of him out of different crosses that they can go win right now in a hunt, but winning a hunt and being ready for the hunts is two different things. Yeah, I agree. Just in my opinion. Yeah, there, there's, there's no question about that. I mean, I heard John Strickland kind of say the same thing about big country when he first, first got him and started messing with him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you need to make sure the dog is mature and ready to to be out there competing. Yep. Just just because they can tree raccoons, that don't mean that they're ready to be out there. Yeah, there's a lot. In my opinion, there's a lot of them out there that get pushed way too hard, at way too young, and then you'll hear about them and they're a year or two old. And then after that, they just vanish. You don't hear nothing of them, and I think it's because they just petered out they they went backwards instead of forwards yeah uh, before before we i, I want to ask you about diesel and some of the traits that you're seeing that that rowdy is throw, throwing but before um we move to that do you think in the recent years that social media facebook in general has created more jealousy in the different breeds oh absolutely Absolutely, because like I said earlier, everybody has their own way of doing things. Uh, some some people are good talkers. Some people don't talk. Uh, I'm kind I'm kind of in between. I, I'm not gonna blow my dog up. Uh, I, if you want to see my dog go, 
any night of the week, any conditions, come up, go hunting. He's either going to look good or he's going to look bad, and that's just all there is to it. Uh, I'm not going to say my dogs walk on water, but I can take my dogs out any night of the week, any conditions, just about, and most every time I'm on tree coons. Uh, are they going to look like world beaters every night? Absolutely not, but... I wouldn't own them if they wasn't consistently treeing raccoons when I go hunting. They better have way more good nights than they have bad nights. They all gonna have bad nights. I don't care what dog it is. But they better have way more good nights than bad nights if they're gonna stay on my place. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely understand that for sure. Okay, so moving on to diesel. Tell us a little bit about Diesel, and tell us the traits that you're seeing passed down from Rowdy into into dogs like Diesel. Okay. Uh, well, Diesel come about. Uh, I uh, was personally looking for females because I'm, in my opinion, there's only been one real big stud dog in the Oklahoma area that I know everybody knows about, and that's Cabin Creek Rowdy. That David Minton had, and he didn't breed as many dogs as his other mate brother Huckabuck and stuff did. But a lot of our problem is our location where we're at, uh, and where all the majority of our breed is. So, with that being said, I went about buying nice females or leasing nice females to breed rowdy because i wanted to know what i was breeding to and things to that nature so i talked to uh john kirby buddy of mine uh that had the bow dog and helped me produce rowdy you know uh i called him and we visited and he had a a female there i liked the way she was bred uh she's silver toned bred on top side and went back to rat poison on her bottom side and they had bred her to Cracker Jack and she reproduced and and had nice pups and I've hunted with some of the, those pups. Uh, I owned one of them there for a little while after she was older because I ended up getting her to breed the Rowdy as well. But I leased uh that annie dog from john and brad heard rowdy and it, it everything went good uh till she's getting ready to have pups and she started having trouble i called john and told him was like i'm gonna have to take your dog in to have c-section she's having trouble it's kind of a scary deal we ended up raising that litter of pups in the house kept annie in the house and everything and man, you can't ask for a better nature dog or anything like that. She's a coon terrier. We kept her in the house, and a lot of coon dogs you keep in the house. They're gonna tear everything up and things like that. But she wasn't. She's a really good dog. I raised them pups. And, uh, she had three males and one female. And John was actually gonna get the female. Uh, for his daughter Kinley, because actually, to be honest with you, Annie is Kinley's dog, uh, his daughter's. And uh, 
anyway, that she, that was what we was going to do for the let me have her. He was going to take that female pup, and uh, which was perfectly fine with me. And then we had an accident happen. The female pup ended up getting killed. And I told John, I said, if you want one of these males or I can pay you to do whatever to make it right. And uh, John said he wasn't worried about it. Uh, everything, you know, basically the same thing. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, he just thankful his, you know, Annie was good and everything. Well, I end up, Diesel was my pickle litter and I kept him. We, we've uh, pushed that dog. I started him at a young age, but I didn't push him hard. Uh, I took him hunting first time. He was like five months old. Uh, he just went and done what the other dogs did. And when he was six months old, I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to, we'd had a bunch of rain, all the creeks was out of their banks. And I was like, I ain't, there ain't no way I'm taking her out of y'all. He'll get me in a pickle. And I'm going to just take diesel out and drive him around. And that's what I did. And dumping on cattle, I was looking, hope to see a coon on cattle feeder or something. And never did. Well, I ended up cutting him loose on this one and cattle feeder that I couldn't see. And he got down there and ended up striking, got treed, and I went there to him. And I thought, I left the gun in the truck because I thought, there ain't no way in the world that he's got a coon treed because he, he didn't even really know what one was. And I went in there and I'll be dang if he didn't have a coon. So then I tied him up, went back to the truck, and rolled that coon out to him. And I knew it was a big coon when I seen it, so I want it to be dead. I shot it in the head. Well, it hits the ground, and I'm, I've got a hold of this coon, shaking it around, and all of a sudden it come alive. I got a six-month-old puppy and a 20-plus-pound boar coon, bobtail boar coon, whooped my fire out of my six-month-old puppy, and I thought, oh, my God, I just shrimp my dog. And this dog, normally, you know, how a pup gets bit, they back off and just start barking at them. Diesel didn't do that. He never let up. Uh, I was trying to get the coon off him and him off the coon, and it wasn't working for long. He had that coon killed, and I thought, my Lord, I hope I didn't just run this pup. And I went to hunting him, and he just went to Katrina Coons after that. I never, I would only hunt him about once or twice a week, never pushed him real hard. And then he just went from there. Uh, me and him's had a, a couple falling outs along the way because I hunted him so much by himself. The only dog he'd ever been with other than by himself was his daddy and a real good friend of mine, J.R., uh, kept me from killing Diesel when he was like seven, eight months old. And J.R. had hunted with me all the time, hunted with Diesel and seen him tree coons by himself and knew what the pup was. And uh, we went hunting together one night and he cut his dogs and I cut him and Diesel wouldn't go hunting. And I, it made me mad. And I got a little rough and that blew Diesel up. We got back to the truck. I said, take the truck, pull up the road. And, He's like, why, what, what for? I said, I'm killing this dog. He ain't gonna, he ain't gonna work. 
And uh, long story short, he said, I don't know. I don't think I can whoop you. He said, but I ain't letting you kill that dog. I said, he said, he's too nice. You ain't doing that. And thank God J.R. was with me that night because he stopped me from making a big mistake. And and uh, I can't thank him enough for doing what he did. And because uh, the end product of what I got now was from all them long nights and some of them stressful nights. And I can only say that's happened twice that I know of, and I've main once ever hunted Diesel. But uh, Diesel's done his fair share of winning what little bit of hunts he's been put in. A lot of people will tell you that they like Diesel better than they do Rowdy, the people that's hunted with Diesel and Rowdy, you know. And I'm here to tell you I've, I own both of them, raised both of them, trained both of them. Uh, Diesel's not a better dog than Rowdy right now, but I like him better than Rowdy. Uh, the thing about the Rowdy pups that I'm seeing that's a common denominator in every crop, every female I've bred is uh, a lot of people tell me, man, these pups are so smart. They've just got a lot of intelligence. Um, most every cross I made, they've got big mouths. A lot of them start real early, and I know that a lot. A lot of your stud dogs say the same thing. Uh, they start real early. They're gamey, um, which I like a gamey pup myself. Um, and they have a lot of natural ability. That Grand Knight female, uh, David Higby owns. Up, up by Kansas City, uh, she pretty much was taught by herself. I mean, she didn't, he didn't hunt her with other dogs to get her going and stuff. But that man right there, he done it right with her. He never pushed her real hard, let her mature, done it, and and has won almost everything he puts her in. Uh, I personally got to see her go, and she's nice. A lot of Rowdy's pups are naturally very independent. Um, they, uh, another thing real common that I see that you don't see in a lot of pups out of stud dogs is their layup. They like to run with their heads in the air with Rowdy. Rowdy opens on the ground. A lot of people think Rowdy don't bark on the ground. They think he just goes in there and falls treed and Rowdy's not, he does open on the ground. Uh, he's got a beautiful ball mouth on the ground. Uh, but he just don't hardly ever run tracks. Because uh, if there's any kind of wind blowing, oh, just a little breeze. I've watched Rowdy in these pecan bottoms. He runs with his head in the air, winds a coon. It might be 300 yards down, he'll be running a straight line and then break right and go 300 yards this bam, fall street. Uh, he just winded that coon. Uh, sometimes he'll be going along and he'll just make a circle and then that circle get a little littler and bam, he's treed. You go in there, that coon will be balled up asleep. You just laid that coon up. But if it's just dead calm, then there ain't no wind where he can try to wind a coon. He puts his head down, and he actually runs track. Uh, a lot of guys have recently started seeing this out of Rowdy that I've actually 
went hunting. They're like, man, I ain't heard Rowdy open that much on the ground ever. I was like, hell, you ain't hunted with him as much as I have. I know the dog opens. But he just normally don't because normally you got some kind of breeze, and that dog is probably smarter than a lot of people give him credit for because if I cut him this way and the wind's out of the other way, he's going to go out there and wheel around. He might be out of your sight when he does it, but he's going to hunt into the wind every time. And uh, sometimes dogs got more sense than we do. Uh, so I've had to learn over the years. It took me like three years to figure out that's what Rowdy was doing. So then after I figured that out, I had to, every time I went hunting, I had to check the wind, see what the wind was doing to get him to hunt places I actually wanted to hunt because a lot of times I pull up place and cut him and he go out there and wheel around and go on property I didn't have permission and stuff. And then I later on looking into it and studying it, I realized what my dog was doing. So therefore I had to change my hunting strategy when I took him hunting. Well, a lot of his pups are the same way. Uh, I can name several pups right now that do the same thing Diesel does. Uh, he's really starting to come around on his accuracy on laying coons up or winding coons. If, if coons ain't down moving, Diesel's going to throw his head up. He's going to lay up coons and, and uh, wind coons. But if they're down moving, Diesel likes to run a track more than he does to wind them. But if, he, if coons ain't moving, he's going to do that. And that's one of the biggest things that I see and I really like out of the rowdy line of dogs that they're doing. And that's probably coming from Rowdy's mama's side and his daddy's side from what I've been told by both of them uh, of that line of dogs. Perry's told me about his line of dogs, and I know they do that a lot. And then Mr. Doug Nestor that had the, the line of dogs that Jill was out of, that was one of their big things too. And I just, it's been a whole different training thing that I've had to learn and a whole different hunting aspect that I've had to learn than dogs that back in the day that was all track minded and stuff like that. It's been different. Yeah, well, sometimes we have to adjust our our way of thinking to to fit the dog if we really like the dog and the dog's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing and not just, you know, out there fiddling around somewhere. Yes, sir. Well, Brandon, we've been at it almost an hour and a half. I know it don't seem that long, but but we are right at an hour, hour and a half. And I know you've told some stories through here, some good stories and uh, some serious stories, but do you got a a coon hunting story you can share with us and is there anybody that you want to thank or shout out before we get off here man i got so many people i could thank you know for along the years that's helped me uh but we ain't, we probably ain't even got time for all that but, but as far as getting me to where i am right now i gotta thank my cousin james uh john kirby terry go John and Keelan Anderson, Alan Short, all them guys right there, they've all helped me tremendously. Uh, I call them 
ask them questions on breeding or I ask them questions on what to do on a hunting situation with my dog or training a pup. Every one of them right Johnny on the spot helped me, give me advice. Them guys right there, I got to thank them first and foremost. But uh, as far as hunting stories, man, I, I got so many of them, but probably my favorite one was first my first night I ever went coon hunting, and that was with my uncle Jimmy Welch. And, uh, he was hunting an old Walker dog, and his name was Walker Dog. <laughs> He had this no great dog, but man, he was sure enough a nice one. Me and my cousin Travis and Jimmy went, and I I remember the spot exactly is on the county line, Ottawa Ottawa Craig County line, uh, uh, over by Blue Jacket, be uh, east of Blue Jacket. You turn, you go down there. It used to be the old Cherry Ranch, and we cut them dogs in there. And like I said, his first night I ever went, no walker dog went there and got struck and he wheeled this track around and he got in there by an old slough, got treed. We walk in there and uh, found the coon in the tree. It wasn't a very big tree, it was just an old willow tree around it that slough and uh, we didn't have Jimmy Jimmy was my cousin but he wasn't always the most lawful person <laughs> when it come to coon hunting. If, it, 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 if his dog did a good job and he thought he needed a coon, even if it wasn't coon season, hey, we're going to get this coon out of this dog, which I think all of us as cooners have done that. But We didn't have a gun, but I remember that night because I ended up climbing the tree and shaking that old coon out. Man, I didn't realize how good them suckers would hold on to them trees. But I finally got that coon shook out, and that was the first time I ever got to see a dog fight a coon or any of that. That's a memory that stuck with me the rest of my life, you know, just seeing that. Putting all the stuff that i would listened to over the years in my bedroom, listening to them dogs run and do what they did, and then seeing it firsthand, that right there was my biggest my biggest thing and it just blew my mind how them dogs could figure out exactly what tree that coon was in and then what they was willing to go through to get it you know these dogs are something else and i just blessed that i got the opportunity to learn how to do it and i still get to do it and i hope i get to pass it on to my grandkids my kids know it and they don't hunt like they used to with me, but they still like to go every once in a while. And I think once they get their own deal going, they'll probably end up having the hounds of their own. I can't wait to take my grandkids and pass it on just like I had it passed down to me. Yeah, well, definitely wasn't going to get the dog's name confused when you were out there. That's That's for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and that's what it's about passing it down passing it on what what you know give them the opportunity take them hunting and whether they take to it or not it's just giving them the opportunity and usually if they ever get that opportunity and get to see the dog work it, it usually comes back around later in life for sure oh yeah our our sport's a dying sport i think the biggest thing is getting kids out there and showing them 
and that's my biggest thing. I got I take kids hunting with me all the time. Just that's what I enjoy doing, and it keeps them out of trouble and and stuff. Yeah. Teach them the right way, and that's all we can do. Yeah, for sure. Well, Brandon, we've been at it for just over an hour and a half, and. I really appreciate you taking your time to be on the podcast today. I know we had talked about doing this and, uh, you know, finally got it worked out where we could get together and get it done. So I really appreciate you taking the time on this Saturday, pretty Saturday, at least in Southwest Missouri. Yes, I assume it is in Oklahoma too. Uh, yes, sir. I sure appreciate you taking your time to do this and hopefully I can get over there and, uh, go hunting with you one night. You, we're not that far apart. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like that. All right, man. Well, we're going to get off here, and thank you for listening to the Coonhound Collective podcast today, and we're about to hit the woods. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Coonhound Collective podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you don't mind, head over to Facebook and give us a like, and head over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's both at the Coonhound Collective. Also, if you would like to reach us here at the Coonhound Collective, you can reach us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.